Welcome into 10 Questions with NBC10 Boston. Our first guest in the new year is the Suffolk County District Attorney Rachel Rollins, but not for long. On Monday, you will be sworn in as the attorney, the United States Attorney for the District of Massachusetts. So thank you for joining me. But first off, congratulations. Thank you so much. Have you had time to even process the new next step yet? (laughs) (laughs) Not really, not really. Um, I've been the district attorney since being inaugurated on January 2nd, 2019. And I am gonna be the district attorney right up until I take the oath of office and become the US attorney on Monday morning. So not a lot of time off, but it's because we have so much work to do um, in this in this area with criminal justice reform and keeping our community safe. What are you most proud of from your work as the DA? I'm most proud of the amazing staff I inherited, remember I'm the face of this office. All the great work is really done by the employees. So the assistant district attorneys, the victim witness advocates, the investigators, my executive team, which is phenomenal, right? We have a comms team, IT, HR, um, government affairs, community engagement. None of our work happens without those exceptional people. So I'm proud of the team I inherited, And then we made an exceptional team even better. So that is, um, that is something I'm going to look back at. And I believe Suffolk County is better because of it. I'm proud of the Rollins memo, which is essentially, I would say the operating manual that we put out that is the vision of what the, the criminal legal system could be that we put to writing that implements some of the policies that I ran on as a candidate. And I'm really proud that we, always did what was right, whether it was easy or not. You know, if, if I wanted to be loved by everyone, I could have done nothing in this job and just kept going the way we were before and occasionally said some stuff and then made no changes whatsoever. What we have seen in Boston is a 20 year low in homicides in 2019. And then like the rest of the world, Unfortunately, we saw a spike in 2020 towards a global pandemic. We've seen a drastic drop again in 2021. Boston is an outlier. We are seeing a downward surge in violent crimes. We're one of the only major cities in the United States where that has happened. That's because of the great work of the Boston police, the state police, and also assistance Chelsea Winthrop Revere in transit. But the DA's office is is involved in that as well. And to your point, you are a pretty polarizing figure, whether or not you plan that. And the Rollins memo is a a part of it. Your Senate confirmation, it was the first time other than three other candidates since 1993 where you had to have a roll call in order for you to be selected. How would you say you stay grounded despite the fact that you do have have opposition coming from all centrals uh, when you're in office in general? I'm, I'm really fortunate to come from a, an amazing family. I have parents that are very supportive. I have a partner, Russell, uh, that is very supportive. Uh, my daughter, I have a 17-year-old daughter, so nothing the Senate says about me could ever hurt my feelings. But my daughter is ruthless, right? Like with the way, so I'm sort of joking, but yeah. look, the data speak for itself. What we are doing here is working. And there are a lot of people invested in the criminal legal system working exactly the way it has for decades because it works great for them. What I'm saying is I want it to work great 
for everyone. And so, um, you know, yeah, my elbows are sharp. Um, and because they need to be, because the way status quo works is people say, you know what, we'll, we'll get a commission on that. And maybe in a year we'll think about it. And you are sort of almost to death, right. In the sense of we'll get to it, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. You know, no, we're doing this now. And that's why it's important for people to understand the power of different roles, right? I, the district attorneys, there are 11 district attorneys in Massachusetts. We report to no one but the voters. We don't have to get the governor's permission to do anything. The legislature, our mayors or town managers or city managers or the um, city council. We can move quickly and with autonomy. And that is that is a very powerful position to be in. You mentioned a good point. Now you will be working under the attorney general, how do you think that transition will be for you where you don't have as much autonomy as you used to? So I used to work in this office and I was an assistant United States attorney for, for over four years. And before running for DA, I worked and had a boss in every job I had. So people that are saying like, Oh, what is she going to do? I'm going to do what you guys do. All, all of you do. You have a boss and you report up to that boss and we will be fine. There are similarities with respect to being the DA and being the US attorney. And then there are significant differences. Um, and I have had the pleasure and privilege to work in the US attorney's office in the district of Massachusetts. I have already made an exceptional decision in that I have lured a wonderful lawyer um, who is deeply regarded who managed Ropes and Gray, which is one of the best law firms, not only in Massachusetts, but in the country. He's going to be a first, the first assistant in the office. We're going to be totally fine. You mentioned that three days ago, three years ago, excuse me, to this week, you were sworn in. But the, the caveat to that was that you were also the first black woman to be the district attorney in Mass, of district attorney in Massachusetts. And now you'll be the first black woman in your role now. Why would you say representation is so important, specifically in positions of law? So when I when I was elected DA, I was the first woman ever elected DA in Suffolk County. Um, and certainly I am a black woman, but no woman had ever been elected into this role before. And the first woman of color in all of Massachusetts of those 11 DA's offices. Representation matters um, in, I think, period, but certainly in systems where we have the ability to take away your liberty. And so if, if, if the person who arrested you doesn't look like you, fingerprinted you doesn't look like you, brought you to court doesn't look like you, walked you up into the, the Bay area and not California, like the plexiglass area where you stand as a judge um, addresses you, your ADA doesn't look like you, your, your court-appointed lawyer, the clerk, probation and the judge, how would you believe that you're going to get a fair shake in this system? If nobody understands your you know, language of origin, where you come from, or only ever sees people that look like you in the context of being a criminal defendant, that is unfortunately some people's experience with the criminal legal system. What I'm proud of is that when we have new people stepping up, and being either appointed or running for office, um, it, it makes us better. So 
I really do believe, um, and in particular with wealth and race-based disparities being glaring, um, it is really important that we have people that have lived in the communities that are most often the ones where violent crime occurs and that actually come from those communities or are members of those communities. And I will say, I do understand that people get frustrated and always ask why, the, what does race have to do with anything? But that's, I would say the reality of the society that we're in. I find your perspective to be very interesting though, because you did grow up in a biracial household. How would you say that experience changed, evolved really during your upbringing and shaped your worldview on race relations in general? So from birth, I have dealt with race. My parents got married very shortly after the loving decision. My dad is Irish American male, uh, and my mother is West Indian. Her fam both of her parents are from Barbados, and you know their their marriage certificate says Negro on it, right? So their their experience is very different than the welcoming sort of multicultural Boston that we live in right now, and. I just was raised where race wasn't a taboo issue to talk about, right? My my father's family disowned him when he married my mother. Um, they, like most people, came to, and we ended up having a very positive relationship with um, my nana and grandpa prior to their passing many years ago. But I think I am not uncomfortable talking about race. And anyone who says, I don't see race, is lying or pretending that they don't have issues. I also guarantee you they don't see race because usually there's no one of different races in their personal life, um, you know, and other circumstances like that. So it's real, right? If you if you walk into court, um, if you walk into a criminal court in Suffolk County, superior or municipal or district, you will see overwhelmingly the people coming in in handcuffs look a certain way and overwhelmingly the judges walking out on the bench, the prosecutors prosecuting, the court appointed counsels representing, the probation officers probationing and the clerks clerking don't look like that. Right. Um, we have to just talk about it and say, what are we doing to make sure that we are, we are having a more representative criminal legal system where, because remember all of our tax dollars pay into this. And at right. the end of the day, um, we all want to keep Suffolk County safe. We can work on being more culturally competent. Maybe it's not about color, but we need people that are fluent or understanding of the new cultures and new um, ever-changing, wonderful sort of rainbow of people that are coming into Suffolk County every single day, different nationalities, different backgrounds. We have to be ever adapting in order to be the exceptional government that I know we can be. And as you're mentioning, the, your job is one that would be considered high stress. And people, I think the trolls at least, forget that you are still a mother and guardian to your nieces. So how do you decompress, but also not let that stress spill over in your house? Yeah, I mean, look, I famously have had um, some interactions with people that when I look back, you know, today's the one year anniversary of the insurrection in, um, in the Capitol, right? I haven't turned the TV on yet, but famously two days after this last year, somebody showed up at my house and I live on a private way. It's a dead end. There are only four houses here. And I think all of our emotions are high, right? Yeah. And what we have to do, and I have to do as an elected official and 
soon to be a public official, not elected, um, is take a breath sometimes, right? And is there, are there ways that I can be better? Of course, there are ways that I can be better. Um, but anything that has to do with my family, I am going to protect them with everything I have. And ultimately, as I think you know, you know, I'm the mother of a 17-year-old daughter, and I'm the guardian of two of my nieces who are in DCF custody. And anyone who knows children that are in DCF custody, they are dealing with trauma and harm and neglect um, and, and different forms of abuse. And so there are stressors there as well. Um, for me, though, I think I'm really protective or trying to be certainly of my family and that private time there. When it comes to people that have problems or issues with me as an elected official or a public official, I have no problem speaking to them or answering their questions. They can just do it at my job and not at my home. Exactly. And I don't think you necessarily plan this, but you have in a way, a way become a advocate for women's sports, one as an athlete, but also your launch into law was when you challenged UMass and, and filed a Title IX lawsuit. Yeah. How would you say you would like to see the growth of women's sports in general? So women's sports have done everything for me, right? I'm the oldest of five children. My dad clearly wanted, I think, a son first. But so was I was throwing, you know, we, we'd be throwing and catching together all the time. And I remember vividly having a, a, a baseball mitt on and, and it the sting of a ball hitting. And I like flinched. And he said, are you OK? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay. And then he threw it a little harder and a little harder. And, a, and it was not, I promise you, like an abusive, but it was like a situation where I wanted so desperately to spend time with my father. I wanted to be good at the things that he liked. And sports was one of those things that allowed me to do that. Right. And I remembered um, how proud I felt when I played sports and he would show up and be there. Right. And, um, was fortunate enough at Buckingham Brown and Nichols to, uh, you know, captain the teams that I played on and be a good enough athlete to secure a scholarship to attend college. Um, and I played lacrosse um, at UMass Amherst division one, and we did well. And after my freshman year, they cut three women's teams and our men's football team that was not very good. I'm being kind right now. Uh, had not lost a single scholarship. The three women's teams weren't even fully funded right? We, we had a handful of full scholarships for a 13 to 15 woman roster. We only had maybe three full scholarships, volleyball and tennis similarly, and they cut all of ours and eliminated three full women's teams, but let our sort of lackluster football team keep all 75 of their full scholarships. And although I didn't know any lawyers or judges at the time, as the oldest of five children, I knew it was fair. And me and some other phenomenal women, them, phenomenal, um, got a lawyer and saw very quickly how different UMass's tune was from not taking our calls as just former athletes, former female athletes, to miraculously when we got a lawyer having a meeting and under the threat of a Title IX lawsuit, we got all three teams reinstated. It's that competitive drive, I think, that is still in me Although, my God, I could not play even one minute of a lacrosse game right now as a 50-year-old woman. But I do think that sort of competition still um, is coursing through me with the work that I do. Because 
We have to be strategic. We have to be thoughtful. You don't show up to a trial having not prepared, you know, to sort of wing it the same way that you don't show up to a game. And what I'm super proud of uh, is my daughter is an exceptional athlete. She is um, just signed to go to Syracuse. She's a hurdler. And you see that it took me years to learn the things that she now knows at 17. And it's sports that has done that. So I think with women's soccer being as exceptional as it is um, professionally, uh, I think women's hockey, I think I look at women's basketball. We are now starting to see referees and coaches in our historically all men's um, professional sports. We are seeing commentators. And we are also seeing women standing up in horrific circumstances like gymnastics and other places, not allowing themselves to be victimized and demanding better treatment and accountability. So I am so proud of the women that I see today. Um, I feel like, you know, the mom or the grandma looking back and saying, oh, my God, when you think of, you know, Allie and Simone and some of these women that have said, never again will this happen and we demand accountability now, it is a beautiful time in the world for women. You you bring up a a lot of amazing points. It was yesterday when the NCAA finally made two different handles for the women and the men's sports because March Madness will now be in reference to both of those. 100%. Which, like When we saw saw online the the workout facility for the men's basketball team, and then there was like a rusty dumbbell Right. It's like, I'm sorry. Am I, you know, I play at Stanford, right? Like I, I, you know, it's just, it's some of the stuff that we see and you know what title nine is changing all of that, right. right? Back to circling back to what we have. And then we've even seen the evolution of title nine where back in my day, it was access and equity. And now it has a lot sadly to do with sexual assault and some of the other things we're seeing, but, but I am deeply proud deeply proud of the exceptional women um, and quite frankly, men that are recognizing and often men when they have daughters, right? Um, Sisters, moms, and hopefully all of them do, but mostly when they have daughters and they are starting to see, well, wait a minute, you know, my son's, you know, little league team has all this stuff. What's going on with my, it's, it's that sort of light bulb moment. Um, And I'll be honest with you, being an athlete, When I was a young assistant United States attorney, some of the more seasoned sort of public integrity, really well-known guys, one of them had played lacrosse in college and heard that I did too, and was sort of rubbing me a little bit, you know, about like, oh, where'd you play and what division and whatever. I'm like, dude, we won a national championship. I don't know who, and it was right then, George VN, Brian Kelly, Fred Wyshak, we are friendly Mm. from that moment on because it was a little bit of, of grousing. And I think with sports, we see all of the team building, all right. of the, you know, all of the transferable skills, quite yep. frankly, into just the job market. And, and lastly, I'll end with when you look at women CEOs, the, the stats are astounding with respect to how many of us or them. And I'm, you know, I'm, I work in government, but I'm talking about CEOs of Fortune 500 companies or leaders there are all former athletes, many of them or have been involved in other things like Girl Scouts or, or other sort of team building unity um, entities where girls can come together and feel, you know, strong. 
No, you bring up a really good point. You actually took the question right out of my mouth because I have noticed how transferable it is to become a student athlete and then transfer into any. Look at our attorney general, Maura Healy. Maura Healy right? played at Harvard. You know, with Inez Cantor, now freedom. Like, you yes. can't spin a ball. She's, you know, handling, like, chief law enforcement officer for our state, spinning a ball, mm-hmm. played professional overseas. It's It's really powerful. It's really powerful to see um, dynamic and brilliant women. Um, also knowing that we come or they, she comes from a background um, of that. And then, you know, I'm, I'm most proud. I thought my biggest accomplishments were going to be athletic to mm. now see that later, you know, you can, you can find other things. And I have a young, I, I call her my baby sister. She's a 40 year old grown up now, but Rebecca <laughs> Salwasser. Yeah, is the um, executive director of the Red Sox Foundation. You know, I thought I was a good athlete until my baby sister came along and, you know, demolished every one of my records by her sophomore year, played professional soccer, um, is now working for the Red Sox, right? Like you can transfer these things into other areas and coaching soccer for her babe, my beautiful nieces and nephews, her children. So it all comes full circle. It all comes full circle. And Boston is a big sports town. So it'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what your favorite team is. Oh, that's <laughs> hard. My goodness. I just set so, you up to it. It's I know, I know, I know. So my fiance works for the Boston Celtics. Um, okay. I have a deep, you know, we got to do that. My my baby sister works for the Red Sox. Red Sox. And, um, and I do work, a, a lot of work with the Kraft family because... Okay. Um, they, they are really influential in the space of criminal justice reform and the McCourties. Um, and I've gone to a Bruins game, right? So I will say, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm agnostic, right? Uh, so I, I just, I feel like I'm not going to say something wrong, but I have, a, I have a deep, warm place in my heart for all. Um, and then I also want to make sure I have not been to a professional lacrosse game yet for Boston. So maybe that's on my bucket list, but... I am I am all Boston all the time, uh, repping as hard as I can. Whenever I'm around the country, you know, I have either a Red Sox hat, a Celtics this, a Patriots that, um, and I actually do have a Bruins shirt too. So I'm just gonna say all things Boston. I'll let you get away with it this time, but next yeah. time you're gonna have to. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What's yours? Well, I covered them, the Celtics, with NBC Sports Boston. So I will say I, I'm. And basketball has been my favorite sport. Okay, up. all right. Like you yeah. mentioned I played with my dad, so it basketball has a soft spot. In my all right, life. okay. I love I all guess you. Well. Yeah, all right. <laughs> We're in the new year, so I also have to ask you: What are some of your New Year's resolutions or intentions? Oh my gosh! So, you know, I will say I want to be more mindful and um, take a little bit more time to breathe maybe before I react to things, generally speaking, but I'm excited about the change that's going to come with leaving the DA's office and starting as the U.S. attorney. Um, You know, my New Year's resolution, spending a lot more time with my family. I think what has been um, tough as the district attorney is we deal with violent crimes and The DA does not, on the violent side of crimes, get to sort of choose the cases you want. We, when when you are harmed physically or violently, we show up with the police and make determinations about prosecuting. 
Um, I think that it's a little more nuanced on the federal side where it's more economic crimes. And there are certainly crimes of violence as well. But I'm hoping that we can educate people about how phenomenal the U.S. Attorney's Office is, how powerful they are on the civil side and the criminal side, and hopefully continue to mend relationships between law enforcement and the communities that we are privileged to serve. Final question. What is your go-to cheat meal? Go-to? Cheat meal. Cheat meal. Oh my gosh. So my, what, what do I do? That's a really good question. We do Mexican delicious burritos all the time. And my kids could eat them every single day. Um, every day they could eat the same meal over and over again. We go, um, we also, my daughter is now really into like Pizzeria Regina, like yummy pizzas, mm -hmm. but we need to start cooking more because it's too expensive to order out all the time. But Do you make the burritos? Uh, What's in so them? No, I mean, oh, okay, so what's okay. in them? My kids are also super picky. Like the eight-year-old is like, would love to just eat chips and French fries all day, and it's like Victoria, you have to no, you have to eat a meat and a. It's veg. not healthy. Yeah, and the other one, the twelve-year-old, will only you know love sour cream and like all these other things in her. Um, she wants like a sour cream burrito. I'm like, we need some protein and vegetables. Right. Um, my daughter is actually quite fine, but it's really exactly. tough when you have to like make four different meals for kids. Um, what do I, where do I, you know, grown up cheat meals. I love Aquitaine is like, if I could go and eat there every day in the South end yeah. and have, you know, of course an Uber home, but like have a few nice beverages with my meal that would make me very happy. <laughs> well, we got the answer. That's yes. those are good answers. You had me at Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> Well, U.S. Attorney for the District of Massachusetts to be, yes. Rachel Rollins, thank you so much for joining 10 Questions with NBC10 Boston, and best of luck with the role. Thank you, my dear.